Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, December 19th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather every week at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is December 24th, Christmas Eve, and we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year B. And joining us again is the senior pastor of Palmacy of Presbyterian Church, John Debevoise. That's the church that makes this podcast possible. And in the spirit of rotation, insights, and the importance of pastors and seminarians in these discussions, we always highlight our special guests. Thank you, John. And here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Aaron Mickelson from Tampa. John Debevoise from Obasia Presbyterian in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina today. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening in. And our lead today is Bill Hull, and he's going to read the scripture and set out some formative questions for us. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. Thank you. And good to be with the team. And, John, I add my word of welcome. Look forward to your what you will share with us. The gospel lesson this year be for the fourth Sunday of Advent is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I read for us from the New Revised Standard Version. The word of the Lord, let us listen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... The child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, I have three questions, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you with this first one. 
In verses 28 to 29, the angel messenger said to Mary, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Later in verses 42 and 45 of this first chapter of Luke, Elizabeth twice exclaims that Mary is blessed. Now, in verse 29, the Greek word translated as pondered can also mean consider, reason, discuss, and even argue a range of possible emotions. Caroline Lewis helpfully reminds us that at this place in the narrative, Mary does not yet know that the angel will tell her she will become pregnant. So she's reacting to being called favored and blessed. So, Sarah, what do you make of the range of emotions that Mary might have been experiencing having been told that she is favored? Well, I'm going to go with, I think she's a teenager. That being said, teenagers are in what I would consider the throes of emotional connection and wiring internally. So I'm I'm curious about Mary because she reacts unusually mature for someone in this age range. Um, so I think there's curiosity in Mary. I think there's certainly a lot of fear. Um, I would question, and I'm sure she is, what does it mean to be favored? And this notion that God is with her and with us um, is a, certainly a, a, an interesting disclosure from Gabriel. And yet Mary is patient and quiet, listening thoughtfully to what Gabriel says. I'm wondering if she falls into shock, because I, I, I would have. I'm not sure I'm accustomed to having people who are somewhat angelic drop into my life and pronounce a prophecy to me. Um, Mary hears and moves to entrusting her whole being and all her hopes, even her future self, into the not-quite-yet unfolding future that Gabriel speaks about. Um, can we let go of details and step into dancing with God so gracefully? I wonder about that. And I am intending puns and perspective uh, fully intended there with the word gracefully. So that's what I got. Thank you, Sarah. Don, what might have been going on with Mary to hear that she is favored? Well, and you folks, you focused on the perplexed and pondered, uh, not yet knowing. And I think it's a great, as usual, Bill, great questions for discussions. A lot of folks listen in, preparing for classes, roundtables, things like that. This is a good one. I think it works especially well if we can start a discussion by saying, you know, what's your not yet knowing in the small things of, of life, the small, the small wonders of our walk and our following of the way. And I think, you know, uh, answers abound. You know, sometimes it's not yet knowing and 60 seconds later, you know, something entirely different. Not yet knowing, walking through that door. So I think that's a good way to start the loop and help with, with the question. For me, the perplexed and, and, and pondered 
and the not yet knowing uh, also goes with what kind of salutation is this? I have a New American Standard version I had from when I was a kid that I, I used, and it says what what kind of salutation, and uh, and that one jumped out at me as you asked this question, Bill, because uh, that's something that maybe I need to think about more often. What kind of salutation do I give? What kind of salutation am I being provided? Am I actually meditating on how I'm being welcomed? And am I welcoming as we go through these steps? So the first is, I think, perplexed and pondered, uh, discussed this not yet knowing as the first disciple, as Mary as the first disciple, not yet knowing. And then this is Luke. Talk about not yet knowing. This, I could call it, you had like a red head at the top of that. This is the book of not yet knowing. Every chapter, all the way through, following the disciples, people that encountered Jesus, the not yet knowing, and then through the patience of Luke over and over again, the not yet knowing, and then learning. The church itself, which the world of the church is where this book is being written, not yet knowing, formed. John Debevoise leads a wonderful church in Palmasia every day. And I'm, I'm just speaking from my heart. What I, you know, it's, we gather together. Sometimes not yet knowing, but knowing with great confidence other things about the Christ. And then I, not yet knowing, every day, but having, you know, some degree of confidence, some degree of faith as we go through those things. I'll wrap up with one of my favorite sections in Luke. I'm so glad it's a part of Luke, and I won't even cite it. You'll know what it is. Not yet knowing, not yet knowing. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to him, O oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And I skipped one. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is nearly over. And he went in. To stay with them. Same book. Same book. Not yet knowing, and then knowing, and then knowing. And I always point out, for me, he unravels. He, he shows all of it. He speaks of it. And we don't get a word of it on this walk to Emmaus. Not a word. So that's, I think, an invitation for all this to be opened up to us every day. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you, Don. And let me add a brief note that I forgot to insert at the beginning, I'm intentionally trying to take this passage step by step. In this first question, I'm focusing on before she knows she's going to be pregnant, this idea of an angel showing up and being told that she's favored. We'll get to uh, the learning that she's pregnant. Having said that, John, again, welcome, and I look forward to your thoughts. I think Sarah's right. This account is telling us the narrative of an unusually unusually mature young woman, a teenager. And I and I think we've known young people, teenagers, on occasion, some of whom we've thought to ourselves, Wow, there's a person who's mature beyond their years. So I think the text is describing her that way, um as that kind of person. I think that in part because it says here that she ponders, and that's the English word. And it says she's perplexed. But what does she do with her perplexedness? She ponders it. And um, 
I note that in English, at the end of the shepherd's visit in chapter 2, she does the same thing again. When after the baby has come, and the shepherds come to Mary and tell her, as, as Luke recounts it, what they had seen, the multitude of the angels, the heavenly host, the text says that then she pondered these things and specifies where in her heart, um, which is, I think, an expansion from simply in her intellect. But it's not the same word in Greek. That's a, uh, a question for me going into the uh, week and study ahead. What, how, how, what's the Greek difference in what she's doing here? All right? Is there much of a difference? It doesn't look to me like it's the same Greek word. Um, and yet it comes out translated again and again in English as pondering. So that lets me uh, think about pondering as an activity. Um, and it's not something I think that in our American Western tradition, Christian, secular, or any other faith community, that, that we do a good job valuing. I don't think we support much people spending time pondering or reacting, pondering, right? We value quick reaction. We value being able to come off the bench quickly. And we value repartee and banter and uh, uh, being able to make quick judgments and move correctly. Ponder doesn't have an outcome other than the pondering itself. And it makes me think of a friend of mine who reached an age of retired from his active work. And he's been retired for about a two year and a half maybe now. And I was talking to him the other day and said to him, What is it what do you enjoy about retirement? And he said, Well, did you know there's there's time to ponder now. And there was never time to ponder before. And I think he meant it in the sense of contemplate, reflect on. Um, and that seems like a beautiful thing to me. And he said, I think it's akin to the what the faith teaches us about the appropriate response of humanity gazing on the beatific vision. Or to look at God's handiwork and see that it is beautiful as a faithful response of creation and us too. Simply to look at it and to see it as beautiful and to ponder that, to be aware of it. That's where the text is taking me at this point. Thank you, John, and thank you, uh, other team members. Uh, I will springboard from your emphasis on pondering, John, having been retired myself now a number of years and having served uh, bustling, busy churches, I do value in retirement time to to reflect. And <laughs> Don, here we go, and mull. <laughs> I have learned the value of mulling. Now, we, we've reminded ourselves a number of times on this podcast that we are reading it out of our context. We have no choice but to be who we are in the culture in which we are. So my comments uh, come out of that. Um, first of all, Mary is not told why she's favored. Unless I'm missing something, there's never an explanation, right? And so my would go, what are you talking about? Where, where did that come from? Especially as a, a, a young person. And then acting out of my culture, 
sometimes affirmations are followed by somebody wants something from me. You know, <laughs> so sometimes there's a little suspicion. You know, what are you setting me up for? <laughs> Bill, you're really good at, you know, and oh, well, you know, and then Bill, would you do so and so? And not that that's a bad thing, but I think my point is that, uh, and this is why I, from the Greek dictionary, quoted a range of, trans, of translations of what we call pondered, consider, reason, discuss, and I liked even argue. You know, I, I don't know that we want to say Mary argued, but she certainly questioned. And, John, I think that reflects, again, your comment that there was a maturity. You know, what, what, what does this mean? Uh, so I, uh, by the way, I'm reading a book, maybe all of you are already familiar with it. It grows out of, in the last decade or so, a number of Protestant theologians, not just women theologians, are revisiting the role of Mary. And I'm reading a book entitled Protestant Perspectives on Mary Blessed One by Kathleen Norris, Beverly Gaventa, and Cynthia Rigby. I, I recommend it to you. It's, it's got some powerful insights in there. And for me, what they stress and what is clear is the full humanity of Mary. Um, and in that book, they say we need to learn from her but not make her some ethereal, almost ghost-like, uh, uh, beyond human. She was fully human. Thank you. Question number two, and um, Don, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. Verse 37 of this week's passage says, For nothing will be impossible with God. In your personal life and faith, or with someone you know, what seemed impossible that nevertheless has come to be? Or another way to frame the question, Don, how have you journeyed with Mary from how can this be since I am a, in her case, virgin, whatever we would fill the blank with, to let it be with me according to your word? Don? Uh, the the quick turn, stunning. Uh, if you think about literature, theater, there are a lot of choices to be made about when confronted with how can this be, and then let it. Be. How can it be? Let it be. And you know, I can think of entire productions, Sarah, that are begin with how how could it be as a theme, and then the resolution. The, the denouement is the let it be. This is as fast as lightning the way it's written. How can this be? Let it be. Stunning. Stunning. And and so I think time in this case is is like it reads like lightning. How fast can this be? How can that be for a human? But I think that could be true over generations. It can be true over Decades and decades of time. How can this be? Let it be. And what it does for me is sets out, instead of giving a specific answer, that 
the certainties of life, which lead to how can this be? What is possible and not? Uh, I, you think about uh, the Old Testament. A child? Me? Ha, ha, ha. I'm not going to have a baby. How could that be? Ha, ha. All through it, the certainties of life are what pin, pin us down, uh, that we depend on. I depend on my certainties. How do I let those go? Certainties, sometimes I think we can think of in terms of darkness. And, and so maybe that's the light speed here when listening to the message, when, they, when hearing the salutation, the understanding of this girl, that, that she is in the presence of God and the eternal. It's, in this case, like lightning. For me, what helps me is the certainties of life are not necessarily things that make me feel safe. Certainties of life are maybe isolation, sickness, mortality, fear, conflict. How can this be because I live in this? How can this be? Ah, let it be, let it be. So all I, my, my answer, Bill, is the, the, the lightning simplicity of those two things, those two statements, which I think frame life and also frame, and I'm thinking of N.T. Wright, who writes about Luke a great deal and the themes of resurrection through it, that maybe those are the bookends as well. In a sense, the first chapters are, how can this be? How can this be? How can this be? And then even walking to Emmaus, how can this be? Explain this. Explain it. And then this, this opening up of the let it be. And framed best by the first disciple of Christ, Mary. How can this be? Like lightning, let it be. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you. John Demavoice, how do you identify with this journey? I, 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 you know, and, and thinking about the phrase here, it's um, bleeding over into my earlier thoughts about pondering as I worked with the text. So this looks like pondering to me. Um, it's like another expression of it. Um, only, only this is incredulous pondering now. As you look at something to say, I don't see any way that this can occur in the world as I know it, what I know about it. Um, and so I understand that question. Uh, here, the specific thing she wonders about is, how can I carry a child when I've never had sexual relations with anyone? Um, that's funny because um, I think uh, teenagers and certainly 20-year-olds have much more certainty about their grasp of sexuality than um, I have at the age of 67. What I'm clear about now at 67 is I know less about human sexuality <laughs> than I ever thought I knew when I was 27 or uh, 17. Uh, and, and so um, I, I, I mean, I, with respect to that particular area, that um, even in um, first century Israel, I imagine, they thought, well, we pretty much know how this works. <laughs> and so, guess what? Again and again and again in the journey of life, we have to keep rediscovering. We don't know with respect to reality as much as we think we do. And, and while some of that is reason meets mystery, some of it is also just growth and maturity, uh, and even by science. So it turns out Pluto is not really a planet, Right. And the atom is not the smallest particle of matter. You know, there's something smaller than that. And, and these things, you know, that 
I could answer on tests uh, uh, with respect to mastering data along the way, I'll now have different answers, <laughs> even by science. So um, the, the question, how could this be, given the world as I know it, and again, is one that we have to ask because things have much more plasticity and um, capacity uh, for other outcomes in them than we think when we first see them. And I just think that's a great expression of the human situation as we go through life. And I think it, it, it let it be to me according to the word. I think that, that leads again to pondering. It's, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a, it's not, Mary's not thinking it, but it makes me think of um, the first text that we had in Advent when Jesus says, um, heaven and earth may pass away, but these words, my words, will never pass away. How can this be? Uh, but um, I think this movement to let it be me according to thy word is to say thy word is the most enduring thing. Um, and, and when we say how can this be, the most fundamental answer is because thy word is the initiating action, finally, in everything that's real or true or good. Thank you, John. Sarah, how does this journey resonate with you? Where and how does the impossible to imagine transform to let it be to me according to your will? I'm with Dawn. This is like lightning. Um, And I don't know if I've ever moved between shock, surprise, anxiety, to acceptance as quickly as Mary seems to. Um, Gabriel, Gabriel reminds both me and Mary that she follows in a long line of impossible pregnancies. Elizabeth is the offering that Gabriel brings, but there's also Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Hannah. Um, so I think that there's something interesting here that is, Gabriel offering Mary some company in this moment of discovery and anxiety and transition. And I think it is an interesting introduction of the language, you are not alone. And I think we often as human beings, when we experience something that's kind of earth shattering, we fall back into the camp of, I must be the only one that's knowing this, or I must be the only one that I'm, that's dealing with this. I think that's a default setting. And then as we come to open the, pro, the particular situation up, we realize we are not alone. And we're not alone in a big way. So there's a lot of people who walk a path with us, and Gabriel gives that to Mary at this point. As Elizabeth is also um, in pregnant state and, and is moving toward something. Um, And I think there's something lovely about that, that when there have been fear-filled moments in my life, um, and a path through something is not presenting itself, it's when I discover others are walking the path with me that I start to see the path through it. And so I think there's this gift of companionship that comes in the gift from Gabriel of information, but also, I think, to us, that sense of look around. You are not by yourself. Not only is God with you, 
but so is Elizabeth, and this is something that's got some historic context. I will say tangentially, I find it incredibly interesting that at the very same time when someone in Mary's society loses their voice, even though they have prominence and they're considered a voice, and I'm thinking of Zechariah, that someone with no voice in the very same society starts to sing. And that's where we get Mary's song. So I find these two moments of silence and singing an interesting um, combination as much as shock and then acceptance. So I, I like the, uh, the dance that's going on in this particular passage. Thank you. That was helpful to remind us of companionship and that, that we're not alone. Um, there are many examples that come to my mind. Uh, one of the most powerful is early in my ministry, actually in seminary, for the first time, I was asked to minister to a person addicted, in that case, to alcohol. Had ended up in the Atlanta prison for a major felony, young man who wanted help. And I was introduced to the 12 steps of the recovery movement. And eventually, I lost track of the young man, but he, as long as I knew him as a chaplain at Grady Memorial Hospital, he was maintaining his recovery. Um, now, yesterday on the Thomasia's podcast, the first look at the lectionary, Pastor Nicole Advenor reminded us that human agency is also involved. Okay. It isn't true that God magically accomplishes God's work while we sit by passively watching. Instead, God's Spirit empowers us to do God's work on earth. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're making a commitment to do the kingdom's work. And in the recovery movement, as you probably know, there are lots of proverbs and mantras. One of the most important are two of the most important talking about the 12 steps is it works, so work it. In other words, the 12 steps are a pathway. You've got to take the path. And the other is do the next right thing. You can't deal with the whole future. Do the next right thing. And I'll end with this comment from a discussion several days ago among uh, a group of us here in the retirement community, Westminster Shores in St. Petersburg, another retired minister, a woman reflecting on Sarah in the Old Testament beyond the age and Mary and Elizabeth. She said, the good news is we are never too old to be fruitful. <laughs> I like that. We are never too old to be fruitful. We are never in circumstances such that we cannot be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Thank you, team members. The third question, and uh, John, I'm going to come to you first here in a moment. Uh, and we have about ten minutes, guys, about ten minutes. Okay. Um, we're finishing in uh, the season of Advent, so I'm asking us to briefly <laughs> reflect on the four weeks. 
we are now reflecting on the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. How have the previous three gospel lessons influenced you, and how does this ending story prepare you for celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? John? Oh, well, I, I like this text as a, a final text. Um, it's not, you know, the right timing in terms of the story, um, uh, because it happens earlier in the story. But I like having Mary and the angel uh, in conversation as, as we get close to Christmas. Um, and I think it brings the divine and the human uh, together closely. And I like the authenticity of her um, response and, and the, um, her, her youthful character. Um, as it's well represented as her character, her humility, um, her compassion, her courage, her friendship, all of these things that uh, come out here. So um, I I feel nurtured by this text at this point. And um, I think the the Advent uh, texts always have in them, uh, as I've encountered them, new power uh, to point me to new ways of... um, preparing, of watching, of listening, and of working, uh, to use Nicole's human agency uh, emphasis on making our, my life ready for the presence of Christ amongst us, God with us. Thank you, John. Sarah? Advent ponderings seem very different than Christmas ponderings to me. Um, when I place them next to each other, the Advent ponderings point us to something unseen, unknown, Um, but hoped for and perhaps even anguished over or anguished for. Um, Advent asks us to hold hope relentlessly within the very human and flawed world in which we navigate. Um, The readings through which we have traveled in Advent and the world through which we are currently moving are troubled with incongruencies and they're rife with injustice and they're full of a persuasive voice that questions our hope and invites us to doubt. I think Gabriel's visit to Mary presents an equally challenging notion of trust, for nothing is impossible with God. So I find myself suspended by these opposing visions of the world, and I'm the hopeful miraculous and the doubtful supposedly reality. And I like God's version better. Okay. Thank you. Um, in the first three weeks, we our attention was focused on John the Baptist in the desert, wearing strange clothes, eating a weird menu, and calling for repentance and a reminder that there are consequences for our choices. And last week in the Gospel of John, emphasizing that John was saying, I'm not the one, I'm only preparing the way. And now... In Luke's narrative, the last one this year in Advent, Mary is alone, young, engaged, but not yet fully married. Uh, Though Matthew's narrative is not in this year's lectionary, we know the rest of the story. Joseph later will learn that Mary is pregnant, and Joseph had his own journey of acceptance, and he had the right in that culture to end the engagement with Mary and lead her to shame likely not ever being able to be married. But like Mary, Joseph accepted the call of God to take Mary as his wife and to be the earthly father of Jesus. 
John the Baptist preached and baptized in the desert. Mary faced a bleak and lonely future. Joseph was called in a painful dilemma. The good news for me uh, in this journey is that even in the most challenging and seemingly hopeless of circumstances, God is at work bringing a future with hope. Jeremiah. Don. Got a note in my Bible. It's from OH, and it's Bill Wallace saying that this is reminding us of God's special love for the lowly. And uh, Bill, I want to use his name today. Uh, I, he taught lectionary class on the Sea of Presbyterian Church for generations. And and we honor him with what we're doing with this podcast, and we miss him very much. Uh, but I would add to God's special love for the lowly, I think all through, especially Luke, God's special love for the domestic. And there's this collision, I think. It's it's almost as if we're fighting the the life of home and hearth with being labeled and leveled as being secondary or domestic. And I think that's being lifted up with the lowly as well, that it's not lowly. It's an alternative. It's a flip. And I think this is coming through, referring, Bill, to the last passages we've been reading during Advent that Advent is so closely tied, not just to the lowly, but that the, that we're transforming the core of our lives in these relationships we're seeing with John the Baptist, for example. He's domestic. This is a mother. Their first, the first follower of Christ is a mother, and it's in that relationship. So I just wanted to hold that up. And uh, for me, it's as much about the past as the future. So how we, how we make mental notes, Mary, how we make notations so that we can ponder. You know, I'm able to ponder if I can hold up some repository of the past. For me, it's the voices of the past. I've got a mo- my Bible here from 08 from John Devil Voice, and there he is. There he is right there. I'm looking at him on a Zoom right now. There he is. It's amazing. There's John's voice in 08. I have one from 03, too. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. There he is. But I think that Advent is about if it's Pondering, which I've really enjoyed learning and listening to, pondering requires a little bit of discipline, a reminder that Advents every day, for at least in my life, a little Advents are worth notation. I don't mean we have to write it down. We can tell our stories. We can make a mark. We can draw a picture. We can sing a song so that we can remember. So it's not just Advent of the future, but the rushing in of the past and the promise of God. Well, I'm, I, I'm, we're out of time. I'm sorry about that. Is there anything we need to, to add before we say goodbye? Everybody okay? All right, great. Well, Palmacy of Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Check that out. We always refer to it, not just because, not just because John Boys and his colleagues give outstanding sermons. So I, I, I really recommend that. Great music, meditations, prayer, other discussions of the lectionary, disagreements about the lectionary. So check that out. You won't regret it. And you're always welcome. And we will see you next time.